Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. And our guest this week is Rebecca Lowe. She's the host of NBC Sports Group's Premier League coverage. That includes Premier League Live. She's also an Olympic host for that network. She and her soccer colleagues will be in the U.K. for kickoff of the 2018-19 Premier League season. That's August 9th and 12th including uh, Rebecca will be pitch side at multiple sites, including Old Trafford and some other soccer cathedrals. This is her second time with me on a podcast, and that is where we will start. And Rebecca Lowe joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. Rebecca, welcome back. The last time we did this, May 22nd, 2015. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy, Richard. Lovely to be back. A lot has changed in those three years. Up to certain. Yes, no doubt. All right, so, Rebecca, you were my third podcast guest ever um, when I was at the Sports Illustrated podcast. Uh, it was like Vern Lundquist, Adam Schefter, uh, R- Rachel Nichols, and then you were third. Um, when I interviewed you in that uh, podcast, the first question I asked you was whether you preferred the term presenter or broadcaster. Do you remember what you would have answered? Let's let's see your recall. I think <clears throat> I remember that question. I think I remember struggling with that a little bit. I was like, oh, no, this is the first question. This is going to be difficult. Um, I think I went with broadcaster because it was more all-encompassing. You did. Yeah? All right. Very, very, very well done. All right. So now here's sort of that. That's so here's really my first question for you before we get into soccer. Now that you you're in your uh, I think it's your sixth year of the Premier League for NBC. And now that you are like a tried and true American, I'm sure you're eating a hot dog right now and parked outside of Chevrolet. Um, what is the what is the most American slang you use? Oh, the most American piece of slang um, on the on TV or in my real life. No, in your real life. I, who cares about that? Well, you know what? I'll be honest. So in the early years of moving to the States, I was quite I was quite stickler for, no, I have to keep the words that I use because that's the words that I use. And, and you know, I, everyone's just going to have to understand what wardrobe and trousers mean. But as the years have gone by, I have realized, my husband and I talk about this quite a lot, we, we even say things to each other like closet and um, we don't, we haven't yet got to pants. Because, of course, pants in my language doesn't mean pants in your language. So that's going to take me some time. Um, but we, we, are, we, we use American phrases more than you would expect and way more than I thought I would at this stage, having been here five years. Because really, at the end of the day, it is like another language at times. And if I don't use the language of the country that I'm in, first of all, no one's going to understand what I'm talking about which has happened on many an occasion when I ask for where the trousers are in, in a shop. But also, it's, I think it's quite disrespectful. And I think that people, when they move abroad, there is, a, there is a lot of, you become quite patriotic in a funny way when you leave your own country. But then that's okay. But at some stage, you have to show more respect and adopt some of the ways of the country that you're living in because you've chosen to be in that country and that's what you have to do. So I have been known to, you know, Oh gosh, I do say a lot of things now, like truck. I say truck instead of lorry, which is because so, I'm trying to teach my child, but I can't teach him lorry because his friends will be like, "What on earth is a lorry?" So you know, we are getting to that stage where 
I am slowly but surely turning into an American. Nice. Okay. And pants, if I'm correct, this is underwear basically in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Am I right about that? <laughs> it is. And by the way, in that whole area of um, vocabulary, there are lots of other words, which we won't talk about on your podcast, Richard. It's far too classy for that, which become very complicated. So I'm not looking forward to many a conversation with my son as the years go on as to why I say certain things. And when he says certain things, I don't want him to say them, but he kind of has to say them because he's in America. So it's going to be complex. Nice, nice. I, I think my favorite like uh, English expression, I think it is sixes and sevens. That's a UK expression, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I yeah, love that. I think it might be Shakespearean. A lot of these kind of those kind of phrases come from Shakespeare, yeah. Ah, fantastic. All right, so you've now been working at NBC since 2013. Um, how comfortable do you feel now in the in the Premier League hosting role? I love it. I feel really comfortable, Richard. I mean, I I, I feel like. It's home, and it's something that I'd wanted to do for many a year before I joined NBC. So to be able to live out that desire is just wonderful. But at the same time, and it's funny that we talk on this day of all days, because straight after this phone call, I have an extra long first major conference call of the new season. And it was all kicking off, as you said, I'm leaving on Sunday for the UK. And every single summer, and this actually goes back to when I was at school, when I was a kid, when you have a break from something, um, as you enter the next, the beginning of the next chapter, the next year, the next season, the next school year, whatever it is, I always feel an element of anxiety isn't quite the right word, but a kind of nervousness slash, will I be able to remember how to do this? That kind of question. And I think that's good because I'm not kind of like, oh, it's just another season. I'm thinking, how do I throw to break? You know, because I've had a little break and I need to kind of make sure I'm not rusty and and the only way to do it is to do it so those nerves and everything will will have gone by the time I get on air um, as soon as I'm on air next weekend Um, but yes I feel very comfortable but I never take that comfort for granted the last time I spoke to you Rebecca you were based in Connecticut you are now living in northern California yeah Uh, congratulations on the uh, farm to table lifestyle that's basically what you're what, what you're about um but this now is interesting to me in that the logistics of your life uh, being the Premier League host, let's forget about obviously this upcoming weekend, which is special. You're, yeah. um, you know, you're on site. Generally speaking, you, you have to go to Connecticut each week to do the show. So how has that what, – what kind of logistic challenges now present themselves for you since moving um, across the country? So quite quite a few, and then in other ways, now very few. So when I first started, I needed to really, like you say, address this logistical situation. How would we best make it work? And my husband always said to me that with the job that I do, you need I need full all-in concentration. And he's right, not only because of the length of time we're on air, eight, nine, ten hours sometimes, but the intensity of those shows and also the time of day that I get up in the morning. And when, when he took the job at Sacramento Republic three years ago um, to be the head coach over here and I was pregnant, I decided, well, I could stay in Connecticut and have the baby, but I would see my husband once a month. And that's not why we've had a child. That's not why we got married. I want us to stay as a family. And I work weekends. So Robbie Earle flies from L.A. every weekend. And at the time, Carl Martino was doing the same, my two colleagues on the show. So I said, well, why can't I do that? And my husband was very much behind it, despite many people who thought we were crazy at the time, because he said to me, look, you can leave on a Thursday night red-eye flight. You can get to the hotel on a Friday, do all your prep and research, do the shows Saturday and Sunday. You can FaceTime us and talk to the baby, but you're all in. You don't have to get up in the night to feed him. You don't have to worry about him because I will be here. Um, and at the time, we had an excellent nanny that was helping him out as well. Um, so you can go all in and make sure that nothing affects your job. And I had to obviously wait for the to see how that would progress. But he's had to say, 
he's bang on. He's absolutely bang on because I have a complete compartmentalization of my life. And it's funny because I speak to a lot of my friends, both in the U.S. and the U.K., who are working moms, who leave the house at seven in the morning, drop their kid at daycare and can't pick him up until six in the evening. And that's tough for them. And they, they are constantly worrying that they're not spending enough time with him. And then when they're at work, they're wishing they were with him. When they're with him, they're checking their emails on work. And they have the weekends, but it's only two days. And of course, weekends can be fraught and frantic. So I, I, am, I actually see it as being super lucky. So I take that red eye on a Thursday night. So I put my little boy Teddy to bed and I leave the house at about 10 p.m. And I'm on that red eye by midnight and I get to New York City at sort of 7 a.m. on a Friday morning. And then I have all day in the hotel to, you know, and I mean, I do, I do read and stuff during the week as well, obviously, and listen to podcasts and the radio. But I have an intensive day all day Friday to prep. And then I can go to bed because I'm obviously normally quite tired after the red eye anyway. I'm in bed at 7 on that Friday night, just like I used to be living in Connecticut. And I'm up at three. I go all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then I fly home on a Sunday afternoon. And then I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with my boy, as though I was a stay-at-home mom. So it's a really unique situation. And and like I say, a lot of people are quite envious of that. Um, a lot of my friends say, oh, my gosh, you know, you're so lucky. And, and I am. I am really lucky. And I work four, tend to work four weekends in a row, and then I have one off. And, of course, when I have one off, I have the entire 12 days off. Then I have a really good chunk at home with Teddy, and we get to do weekend things. And then, you know, that's only for the nine months of the year. So it's a it, from the outside, I think people think we're, I'm crazy. Um, but I tell you, from the inside, it works. It really works for us as a family, and it most importantly as well, it works for my job, and I'm all in. Right, that's interesting. And the one great thing about the world we live in in 2018 with FaceTime is, you know, you can see your baby, you can see your your boy. Um, where 25 years ago. You know, maybe you'd sort of stick, you know, you'd hear some crying or talking in the background. It changed, it's sort of game changed now um, how uh, with technology. So that's interesting. I appreciate you telling me that um, uh, to give listeners a sense of what those logistics are. All right, you, you for this opening weekend, uh, the whole group, the, the Robbies, you, uh, the NBC staff, I don't know if those uh, Men in Blazers types are heading there as well, but if they are, it's the whole NBC flock who travels to the UK for this um, opening weekend. Given that, uh, Rebecca, and you've done this before, but um, given that it's um, it's live pitch side, given that it's unfamiliar studios, given that it's long travel, what are the cha- specifically for you as a host, what are the specific challenges for you of doing this opening weekend in England? Um, it's going to be really interesting because this, this weekend that we're going over, or this trip, is actually longer. So I'm leaving on the Sunday, and I'm there till the following Monday, so an eight-day trip. Normally, we go on a Wednesday, and I think I normally go in on a Wednesday, and we're back out on the Monday morning, so it's a lot shorter. This is going to be better because it's going to give us our bodies more time to adjust to the jet lag, which in previous years has been really, really difficult because I just can't go to bed. I've not, I've been able to not, you know, I've been struggling to go to bed, and then, of course, the next day you're tired and you're on air. Um, so that's been hard, but... Um, this year, I think, will be a little easier from the jet lag um, concern. Um, the travel is the, is, the, is the challenge. I mean, when we this year we're doing Manchester United, as you said, then down to Wolverhampton Wanderers, and then down to Arsenal. Um, last year, we started in Brighton on the south coast, drove after the game on a, on a... No, sorry, we started in Arsenal in London, then drove to Brighton on the south coast, then on a Saturday night drove from Brighton up to Manchester, but all the motorways, all the highways, highways, all the highways were closed. Um, and so we had to literally go around all the towns of England to get to Manchester and didn't get there till sort of 3 a.m. So, and then you're on air the next day, like seven, eight hours later. And you know me and my preparation, I, that, that is not conducive to my preparation. So I'm just sat in the back of a people carrier, just on my laptop, 
you know, we stop at McDonald's and I'm on the laptop at McDonald's uh, with, with my late night burger. And I'm just, I'm trying to get everything done. And I find that I, I'm a creature of routine and a creature of habit. And I like to kind of be at a desk with my laptop and my papers and my radio on and television. You know, and I, I like what I like around me. So I find that challenging to be in the back of a car. Um, but I also quite, it's quite um, satisfying when you can do the job and you realize you can do the job anyway. And it's quite challenging. But once you achieve the, the, the show and you're happy with the show, you realize that actually, really, yes, I prefer a desk in a hotel room and nice and quiet, but I don't need that. I can do the job anywhere because it's just about hard work um, and applying yourself and learning and researching. So that is a challenge, but it's one I actually quite like. Um, other than that, I will actually be in the studio. So we're going to have television studios within the within the stadium, right next to Sky Sports Studios. And then it'll be Arlo, who'll be pitch side, so that he can go up and down and do the commentary. So I'll be in a studio. So my, my actual job, once I'm sat in that seat, is not that different, except I have to always make sure to, to try and use where we are as much as possible. So I can say, look, right behind me here, we've got the Stretford end here at Old Trafford, you know, because that's something I can't do in Connecticut. So I, that, that's a challenge, to, to constantly use where we are to the best of my ability to ensure the viewer has the best experience at home and feels part of it. And Arlo does that brilliantly, of course, pitch side as well, which is which is the real glamour area because um, that's where they get all the players and managers and stuff to talk to. So it's, a, it's definitely a challenge. But, I mean, how blessed are we to be able to broadcast these shows from these amazing stadiums um, in England? It's just, it's the perfect time to do it as well, the beginning of the season when there's so much hope and joy, um, which makes things easier as well because, Often we've done it in April, and it's difficult with the players, the managers, and the clubs. There's just there is a vibe around the club in April of 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 worry, whether it's worry about relegation, worry about whether they're going to win the league or not, or whether they're going to qualify for the top four in the Champions League or not, which makes everything tense. In August, there's no tension; everyone's happy, and that makes our job easier. Rebecca, the current um, NBC rights for the Premier League go through. 2022. I don't know what your contractual situation is, but I I think it's fairly close in terms of your linked through the uh, how long NBC has the Premier League. Um, understanding that we're talking, it's a long time away. It's four years away. But I mean, is the job you have something you could see yourself doing for 10, 15, 20 years? Or do you think just based on your interests and who you are, that you would ultimately want to shift away at a certain point from the the Premier League host role for some other broadcasting opportunities. It's it's a question. It's an interesting question. I think I am I am a planner by nature, and that's you know my husband is always telling me to like stop looking at 2026 and start looking at 2018 because I'm always planning our life, and I and so I think about it a lot. But at the same time, I am doing my very best not to be that person because in my game, I've learned Richard. There's no point because you really, really don't know. In four, I think, gosh, four years ago compared to now, it's four years ago, NBC had a three-year contract and no one had a clue if we were going to get another one. And I thought maybe I'd be going home after three years. And what will I do back in England? And maybe I should plan for that. So you, you don't know what's going to happen. As you said, it is a long way away. I'm open to a lot of things. I love doing the Olympics. I absolutely love it. I mean, I wish it was every year. I really do because I just love that change um, <clears throat> and the different dynamics and the challenge that, that that gives me in terms of learning about other things. So I, I think that the other, the other thing to always bear in mind is, is the rights issue and how things are changing so much. And you just, you know, who knows 
things are going online and they're going digitally and then other companies will come in out of nowhere. And again, I've had my fingers burnt down the years on many an occasion where you think it's going to one channel and it goes somewhere else and you're out of a job or you've got to change your, your tax in terms of who you need to apply to, you know, to get a job from. So I don't, I don't put my chickens in one basket. I don't, I don't, I try not to plan too much. I'm just going to allow what happens to happen as best as I possibly can. But I, I am not just about football. That's for certain. I love football and it's, it's kind of where I've come from and who I am to an extent, but it's not only who I am. I love doing other things. Um, I would love to do other things in the future, whatever they may be, whether they're in sport or out of sport. Um, I'm into all sorts of things, current affairs and documentaries. And I love kind of lifestyle choice and fitness and um, wellness and food. And I, I just love all those things. So, so I'm always open to things in the future, but I just never, I never want to, I never want to go down the road of saying, yes, I want to do this forever, or no, I don't want to do it forever, because I don't think I have the, I don't think I have the right to say that. Hmm. Do you, have you ever, uh, have you ever approached NBC about um, any kind of one-offs on, you know, like their Today style, Today Show style programming, either uh, their Today Show weekend stuff, or I wonder if you've even just sort of approached them. The Olympics does give you a little bit of that. But there, you know, that you you are fortunate in that you work for a corporation that does have a lot of, you know, lifestyle. I know you're into cooking, cooking show. You know, they they you do work for a place that has that you can get your, I guess I would say, your feet in the water a little bit in this stuff. Yeah, I, I haven't outright gone and asked about that. Maybe because obviously the week, the work that I do, although I I'm only actually on air for the two days on the whole, and sometimes a Friday as well. It's it's kind of all consuming, so that uh, you know. I, as I said earlier on, it's like you're all in all weekend. Well, if I then went and did something on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and a Thursday, I, I would literally never see my child. So I have to make sure I get that balance right. So that's always at the back of my mind. Um, so no, I haven't gone and, and sought out anything else, um, mainly as well because I've been so happy with what I'm doing. I'm, I'm so satisfied and fulfilled with the job that I do. Um, and it takes it does take a lot of energy. It really does take a lot of energy out of me um, because during the week, as I said before, you know, I have to keep up with everything. So I, w- I would always be a bit nervous of wanting to grab too much, Richard, because I think you can, you mustn't ever sacrifice, you mustn't ever compromise the original, the thing that kind of got you where you are, if you like, and got you seen and noticed because that's really important to me. And I would never, ever want to be seen to be trying to do other things and then, oh, I'm late for that conference call or oh, I can't make that conference call, sorry, or actually can I not, can I not do that Friday show because I want to do – that to me is, is not particularly respectful or loyal. So if I ever did want to do something else, it would have to, the timing would have to be right where I didn't ever compromise my colleagues on the Premier League show. One of the questions that I got um, when I put it out there that you were going to be uh, the podcast guest this week for, was from a woman named Ella Brockway. And I, we may have talked about this before, but it's always a good question – in that you're known as a Crystal Palace supporter, and she wanted to hear your views on how those kind of attachments are viewed in soccer broadcasting, the soccer media, because it's really the one place where it seems like viewers do not get upset with you if you make your allegiance to a certain club public, where if you, let's just sort of use a converse, if you were brought, if you were the host of like an NBA show and you were like outright saying I'm a you know Cavaliers fan and here's why, the the reaction would be would not be good for you, Rebecca. So it's it's interesting to me that 
I don't know if it's because it, if it's um, a global sport or because the Premier League is foreign based. But have you ever thought about that as to why? And NBC, by the way, has um, has always wanted its broadcasters. You know this from the Olympics. Don't use we. Don't don't be too over the top, sort of ethnocentric. So what? Why do you think in soccer it's not as? It doesn't seem to me to be as big a deal if if um, a broadcaster sort of lets an allegiance known. Yeah, I think I think two things on that. One, culturally in the UK. Rightly or wrongly, it's just different. So uh, you, you will know that Gary Lineker, who hosts the biggest flagship show in the UK, is a, is a Leicester City fan because he mentions it a lot. Uh, but he also mentions it off television on his Twitter feed. You know, he, everyone just knows. Um, same on Sky Sports, their number one guy. You know, they'll, they'll, everyone knows who they support. And it, and it goes through, I can think, pretty much of radio broadcasters. It, it's just different. And we all know who everyone supports. And I think in the UK, again, rightly or wrongly, there is just an assumption that you will continue to be neutral. And I think if you listen to them, they are. Now, from my perspective, and it is a really interesting question from that lady, I have never, I, I challenge you to find one, one show in five years where I have ever mentioned Crystal Palace and myself in the same sentence in terms of linking up together in terms of my fandom, ever. And I would never, ever do that. Because that, to me, that is pointless and unprofessional. I, <clears throat> I would... Yes, I'm a Crystal Palace fan, and the problem is that I'm English, and so it was already out there when I got the job with NBC. So that you know, I couldn't then deny it. It is I'm I'm, I'm not in the business of, of lying, so I, that is who I support. But I guess I ask people to trust my journalistic neutrality and my impartiality. And when I'm on air, I will criticize. Or I will you know give a, a, a negative statistic about Crystal Palace as much as I will a positive statistic. But it does it does play a part in my mind because if 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 there is a positive stat on Crystal Palace, I always just double check with myself: is it 100% relevant? Because I because I'm aware that people know I'm a Palace fan. So the last thing I want to do is only is, is look like or be perceived to only give out positive stats or positive lines or a nice phrase about Palace. It has if they're doing really well. Sometimes that's a problem for me because sometimes, and it has been in the last five years, they've had some great times, great moments, um, and you have to wax lyrical about those moments because I would do the same if it was Arsenal, West Bromwich, Albion or Brighton. And so I have to do that. Professionally, I have to. But I do find that quite difficult because I, I, I try desperately to separate my love of them from, from what I see as a good story. So it's a challenge, but it's out there. There's nothing I can do about it. And it's, and it's not like it's rare from where I come from. I know it's very rare here, um, but not from, from where I come from. The good thing, of course, in the Olympics is that there's no way you can tell me I'm Team USA biased. <laughs> because funnily enough, when I did work on the Olympics, I, I was receiving quite a few messages on Instagram from people who did not like the fact that I was English and that I shouldn't be talking about Team USA. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, that we have this policy of being mutual, and yet there's obviously a lot of people in the States when it comes to the Olympics who, who do like an American voice, and I, of course I understand that. Um, but again, very little I can do, despite the fact that I do have an excellent American accent, which I might have to bring out for Tokyo 2020, um, just to stave off the abusers. But no, no, I, I didn't get too many, just the, just the, odd, the odd message. But yeah, it is, a, it, is a, it is a situation that's definitely unique. I get it. I need a Sacramento accent by 2024, Rebecca. Please work on that. The um, understanding that the World Cup has been broadcast by two different companies that are not yours since you've been here in the States, Fox and ESPN. And Telemundo. I wonder if... And Telemundo is ours, Richard. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right. So you're probably watching all the Telemundo coverage and the great Andres Cantor doing games. But I wonder if... That was a sort of a preamble to... 
I wanted to just get your impressions of how the World Cup is covered here in the States or broadcast here in the States versus what it was like when you were growing up in England. Is there like is there a philosophical difference in how it's covered? And if there is, could you share that with us? Yeah, not a huge amount. Funnily enough, this summer gave me a really good perspective because I watched the couple of weeks of group games here um, on Fox and then I went to the UK for a family trip and I managed to watch lots of the I think it's the second, the third round of group games is the quarterfinal, semifinals, and final on the BBC and ITV. So I got a really good um, comparison, actually. Not a huge amount of difference. Major difference, of course, when you sit and watch the BBC is that when half time comes, you've got 15 minutes of them talking. You haven't got any other breaks. So I've got to say that hands down wins everything because for the viewer, of course, for the company, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, a, it's a must have advert. But for the viewer, that's wonderful. And that's what I grew up with. So that's, that's, um, something which, you know, is is going to have to change at some point, of course. But um, at the moment, the BBC still holds that holds on to that. In terms of the way it's broadcast, I, you know, we all do the same. We all do pre-game show, halftime show, post-match show. We all get the interviews. We all get analysis. It's not that different. The, the, what, the one big difference I would say, and if the USA had qualified for this World Cup, is I think that on Fox you wouldn't have seen the um, the fandom, would you? You'd have you, they would have had to have been non-fans, whereas watching ITV and the BBC, it's just England all the way. And that's, that's again, that's very, it's what we were talking about earlier on with the, with the club affinity. It, it, there's no, they're, they're like that with the Olympic Games as well. And I remember talking to somebody at NBC about that. And when they did the London 2012 Games, they couldn't believe it, that the BBC was so behind Team GB. And I suppose until that moment, I'd never known anything different. So I didn't think that was weird growing up. And I didn't think watching England play in the World Cup and the Euros every two years and seeing the BBC and ITV, you know, waving the flag. I, I just thought that was normal because I lived in England and it was England. So why? And it's an English TV company. So why wouldn't they? Only moving here do I realize that sometimes that's not always the best thing. Um, but in terms of the nitty gritty of things, you know, they're very, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar. They probably, I'm trying to think about analysis and things. No, I think they're fairly similar, and I don't think they're worlds apart. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, by the way, I was in London covering the uh, um, 2012 uh, Olympics, uh, I, I think, as you were. And watching the BBC, especially during the track and field competition, I mean, it, it, they may have well. Everybody on that set really should have just been wearing uh, Team GB jerseys. It was it was so over the top. It was. You know I mean, what? it was actually hilarious to watch, <laughs> but unapolog- unapologetically flag waving. Exactly. But let me tell you what. Let me tell you. I can see it now clearly why we do that because we don't have a lot to cheer about in the world of sport. We are not that great because we're tiny. So when we have a hundred meter runner like Linford Christie, or we have a Jessica Ennis Hill, or we have somebody who is like world class, we have to celebrate that, Richard, because we just don't get many of them. Although recently we've been pretty good at the Olympics, actually, to be fair. But on the whole, with the history, we aren't we aren't the country that wins World Cups, but wins a lot, a huge amount of gold medals down the years. And so when we do it, when we win the Rugby World Cup in 2003 and as a national holiday, it's a big deal. Same with the you know we got the semi final of the World Cup. I genuinely thought that the country would come to a standstill for about four days had we got to the final. I mean, I, I'd never felt anything like it in my life being in the UK this summer. It was the country had just lost the run of itself and we just got to the semi-final. So it, 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 I can understand why it's, it's for, other, for people looking in, it's crazy, but we're a little country and we, we love our sport. And when we have success, we feel 
rightly or wrongly, but we have to celebrate it. <laughs> I understand. I don't. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, at least you you give it a uh, you give it a, a pretty good explanation. All right, a couple more here. You are the lead host, obviously, for the NBC's Premier League coverage. Kate Abdo is the lead host for the uh, Turner's upcoming Champions League coverage, as well as one of the she was one of the lead hosts for Fox's World Cup coverage. What do you think that says, Rebecca? That two women uh, are fronting the um, the. I mean, depending on how you see Champions League, uh, depending on how you see World Cup, depending on how you see Premier League, I would argue it's the best league in the world, the Premier League. Like, what does that say? What does that say that two women are fronting? these soccer shows in the United States uh, and they're fronting um, men's only leagues, basically. I don't think it says anything other than if you're good enough, it doesn't matter what sex you are. And I think that, that in the past that hasn't been the case, but now that is now turning into the case and it's about time, but it, it shows us that Kate Abdo got the job because Kate Abdo was the best person for the job. So she was better than the, the man that she maybe went into the job alongside. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that she's a woman. It matters that she's excellent at her job and good enough to do that role. And I think that it, it's about time we got to this stage. Um, and the other, the other thing that I think we're starting to reverse the trend of a little bit is using women in television and especially in sports television – I think for the last 20 years, companies have, and it's with the best intentions, companies have tried to employ women because they feel they should employ women. No, we mustn't do that. That will go, that will send women backwards. We have to employ the right women, the women that are good enough, or we, if not, we just employ the man that's good enough. That's no problem. And I think most women would agree. We don't have a problem if you lose out to a job because the guy's better than you. Absolutely. That's what the world should be about. That's equality. So I, I think that that's where we are now, and I think we are starting to get to the stage where women are being given these jobs because they're really, really good. One one thing, um, Rebecca, that I think will be a little bit of a ceiling breaker in soccer is when we see um, an all-women's uh, game broadcasting booth for a full season calling, whether it's MLS or some kind of, um, some kind of uh, global game. What's really great is we've obviously seen um, – Ali Wagner and Jen Hildrath and some other women who are getting pretty regular reps now calling uh, calling soccer in the booth, not just in the studio, not just on the sideline, but literally play-by-play in color. But that, to me, will be a ceiling breaker when, um, and this is like no disrespect to Arlo or anybody else, but when it's two women actually calling, let's say, like a Premier League matchup on multiple, multiple weeks, that, to me, would be a pretty interesting ceiling it, breaker. It, it will. You're right, Richard, but we mustn't push for it until it naturally occurs. Because if we are going to try to push for this, this moment where we have this whole weekend of women, and it must be a natural progression. It has to not be celebrated in this. In a funny way, I don't believe it should be celebrated. I don't ever want to be seen as a, as a woman. I just want to be seen as a broadcaster. And I, and I think that, you know, that there is a pl- we mustn't just throw the men out. I mean, there is a big place for a Robbie Earl who has played at Highbury, or I should say at Highbury, at the Emirates against Arsenal. He can bring us something that I can't bring you and that Ali Wagner can't bring you, as good as she is analyzing a game, there is always going to be a place for somebody who has actually been on that field and played against this, this player or been managed by this manager. That, we mustn't lose sight of that. That's what people want to hear, that kind of insight. Now, there are, there's also a place for former women footballers who have also been in similar positions, 
within a game, wherever that may be in the world, um, and have a brilliant analytical mind because they can teach us. And there's absolutely no reason why an Ali Wagner can't do the, can't do the Premier League. Absolutely no way because she knows the game inside out. So that's brilliant. So let's, let's embrace anybody with knowledge and anybody with insight and anybody with experience. But we mustn't push for it to happen. It has to be organic. I appreciate your, uh, your thought there. All right, so I will not push Bob Lee out of the booth for Rebecca Lowe. Uh, Bob Lee will stay, and he will be part of the booth, and Rebecca Lowe will be part of the booth, or, or part, part of the studio as well, I should say, because you two are uh, our studio people. Um, all right, let me finish up with a couple of things. You are tagged as mother of dragons by men in blazers. I know I asked you this in 2005. Have you, have you yet, have you no. still not seen a single episode no. of game, game of Thrones? No. <laughs> Ugh. Re- Re- Rebecca, I mean, I know you have a new kid, but can we catch up on the cultural references okay. a little bit, so, please? Richard, you've got to, this is what you, you've got to know about me. I'm really not very cool. Okay. So, uh, you know, these kind of shows, mother of Dra- um, game of Thrones, whatever it is, these are all for cool people. I am, um, the least cool person. I'm going to watch the least cool thing. Game of Thrones. Also, the other thing about me, and again, I'm very, I know I'm very unusual, but I don't like, <laughs> I, this makes me sound crazy. I don't like watching things on television that <laughs> can't happen in real life. So I avoid, I'm not interested in anything from Game of Thrones to Harry Potter to Star Wars. It's just not my game. I would much prefer to watch, okay, a cheesy, um, chick flick or a cheesy television drama or something that's more like you know inverted commas real life i just have that affinity so there's absolutely no way you're going to get me to watch game of thrones i would rather not watch that (laughs) (laughs) rebecca rebecca you realize you're limiting so much of your um your viewership there by your, uh, you know, real life dicta, basically. Yeah, you know, I'm, a, uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I remember there was a game a couple of years ago when there was a banner in the, in the crowd and it was a Star Wars reference. And my boss, Pierre, was like, do you know what that means? I'm like, obviously not. <laughs> he goes, okay, this is what it means. I'm like, thanks. Rebecca, I, I should ask you, ha- have you, have you seriously not seen a single, single Star Wars film? I did see one once when I was 18. When I was 18, there was one that came out. It was, so it was 1998. 1999, I think, and there was one that came out that was like a a, re, a reworking or something. I don't know. Anyway, I did go on a date. <laughs> oh, Rebecca! I, did, I know it's embarrassing, <laughs> but as I say, I'm not. I don't get embarrassed that easily. Don't care. I absolutely do not see Star Wars as something I want to spend any time with. And I apologize to all those viewers out there who love Star Wars and are upset with me. But I'm really sorry, guys. I just just couldn't be less interested if I tried. <laughs> all right, good. I, you know, I am rooting now for your son immensely. I mean, I think he will overcome all this, but it's going to be, there's one, at least one hardship, uh, one hardship there. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, will you listen, we all have our, we all have our things. Uh, Lord knows I do. All right. Uh, two things here uh, that will actually, I'll, I'll, I will end this on soccer specific stuff. Um, one of the great stories in the history of sports was Leicester city from a couple of years ago. Um, the, as you know, the Premier League, while it's an incredible league, money usually wins the league, at least at a certain point. Do you think in our lifetimes we will or can we see another Leicester City again? Is it possible for something like that to happen? Or as someone who's obviously watched and loved soccer her whole life, do you think that was basically a once-in-a-generation thing? No, I think it's possible. I think it's unlikely, but I think it's possible. And the reason why it's possible is because it only happened two years ago. And really... Football today and football when Leicester won the league is not that different. I mean, some of the transfer fees have gone up, but that's it. It was still two years ago in 2016 when they won it. It was still the bank, you know, the the, the money swishing around 
sport that it is now, um, full of egos and talent and stars and huge amounts of agents fees and player wages and all and take club takeovers, all these things were there two years ago. So why can't it happen again? What has to ha- what has to happen is the perfect storm. So it has to be that the big clubs are all on the down at the same time. So they're either all going through a transition or they're all out of form or they've all got the wrong manager or whatever. And at the time, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, United and City, left Tottenham and United and City were all you know, in transition or just not having good seasons. Now, that happens every year. One of those teams has one, if not more, has a poor season. Now, for them all to have at the same time, very rare. And then, for, and then this is where the perfect storm comes in, for a smaller club to have a bizarrely... Um, uh, clicking season where the chemistry is off the scale and they had a goal scorer in Jamie Vardy who came out of nowhere. So it is going to be very unlikely but completely possible. Rebecca, again, before my last um, soccer-based question, can you name a single Star Wars uh, character? <laughs> Darth frigging Vader. All right, good job. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's going to be the drop on this podcast, Darth freaking Vader. We're just going to keep using that. Um all right, last one. I want. I realize this is not your league, but you are now living in the states. Your husband, for a while, I know, was involved in um, Sacramento FC. I know you are familiar with um, MLS. When you watch MLS, and again, you're someone who grew up with the Premier League. I think you would just have an interesting perspective of where do you see the league now in its maturation and where it might go particularly with 2026 coming where, you know, soccer in the United States and I should say in North America, Canada, Mexico as well, there's going to be so much attention for basically a year and a half run up. And obviously MLS will get some of that. So I'm just curious where you see MLS right now in this country. Well, first of all, how exciting is 2026? I mean, that is just, as soon as that happened, I was like working out how old my son would be, you know, where, how, how, how many games would I be able to take him to? I mean, it's just off the scale exciting, number one. Um, where do I see MLS? <clears throat> I think it has a great opportunity with 2026 on the horizon to um, continue to grow stronger. There is no doubt that soccer, um, as the men and blazers put it, um, will become, you know, it's the sport of the future. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's popping up everywhere at USL level, at Major League Soccer level. There, there is only a, the only reason why it's happening is because there's a want for it. And so, you know, businesses don't grow. Things don't happen like that. Franchises don't pop up unless people want to go. So there is a desire out there. And I just have to go around my town because, and see every single kid playing soccer. I don't see any American football kids. I don't see any kids playing basketball. At, just where I live. Just on the, you know, obviously basketball's inside. But um, on the whole, it's soccer fields everywhere. So there is no doubt that soccer is, is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In terms of Major League Soccer, my dream for Major League Soccer would be, I'm afraid, promotion or relegation. Because I think only then, and to come away from, and I know it's probably never going to happen, but to make to get it in line with Europe on the calendar, it's got to get in line with the European league, leagues. It's got to have promotion or relegation. It's got to have more to play for past the halfway stage. It's got to, I feel, it has to stop recruiting players beyond their years from the UK and from Europe. Because I think it's better than that. And I think when you're recruiting um, a player like Ibrahimovic or Wayne Rooney, you're, you're doing it short term. And there are kids out here. You know, you, we live in a country of over 300 million people with the, ta- the talent that is out there. I mean, America should be winning the World Cup every time. I mean, it's, it's 
insanely talented out there. So Major League Soccer has a responsibility, along with U.S. Soccer, to invest in the coaches and invest in those kids if they want a successful Major League Soccer in the next generation. And I really believe that the talent is here. There's no excuse, but it has to start now. And those coaches have to be trained and recruited. And, and, and yeah, they, the coaches have to be coached. And then the kids have to be coached by those really good coaches. But it has an opportunity, and it, but it does need to make some changes. I'm not sure that promotion and relegation is ever going to come in. There is more talk about it now than ever since I've been here. Um, and I, and, and <clears throat> I know that, therefore, that has to be discussed. But there's issues and problems with that because obviously the ownership situation in Major League Soccer is completely different to Europe. So I don't know how you get around that because I do understand an owner is not going to want to have a franchise that could get relegated. Um, but they have to look at the long game. And for the, for if, they're, if they're the ownership of their club, if they want that to increase in value over the years, and I'm talking decades, you have to have a thriving pyramid of soccer. And the only way to do that is to make it MLS, USL, and then there'd be another one underneath that. And it's all about promotion and relegation. That would light a fire under football in America. I love that idea. I think a lot of... Uh... I think a lot of hardcore soccer fans would as well. All right, Rebecca Lowe is the host of NBC Sports' Premier League coverage. Her show is Premier League Live. You will see her and her colleagues in the U.K. for kickoff of the Premier League season, August 9th through the 12th. Check out NBC, NBCSN, and follow Rebecca, of course, throughout the whole year on Premier League Live, one of the great studio shows, independent of sport that exists. And if you follow Rebecca, I guess on her Instagram feed, you'll get a lot of Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, Star Wars, <laughs> a lot of sci-fi and fantasy stuff. If you follow so me I would, I would certainly you will see how uncool I am. But I, as I say, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Rebecca Lowe, thank you again. I will do this with you in 2021. Oh. I, will, I will now do a podcast with you regardless every three years. Love it. Basically. Can't wait already. No, really, in, all, in all seriousness, Rebecca, continued success. We've talked a lot. I'm, uh, I'm a huge admirer of your work. I think you're incredibly good at what you do. And, um, and continued success uh, both professionally and personally. And thank you very much for joining us on the Sports Media Podcast. Absolutely. Anytime. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Richard. All right. Back in the studio. My thanks to Rebecca Lowe, who's always fun and, uh, and a good sport. And uh, uh, Rebecca Lowe is cool. Uh, I'm, you know, we're just busting chops here. But, uh, you know, watch her. They're, you know, no bullshit uh, uh, at all here. Is easily one of the best studio sports studio hosts that exists on television, and maybe arguably the best one. Um, as I sort of go through my Rolodex, you know, obviously uh, great respect for Ernie Johnson, Reese Davis, Chris Fowler, but Rebecca Lowe is basically right there. You know, she's not one, she's one A. And so um, check her out, obviously, on uh, Premier League Live. Previous podcast prior to Rebecca, Brett McMurphy on his Urban Meyer story, Frank Isola talking about um, being laid off by the Daily News and Tronk after 25 years there as their lead NBA national writer. Conrad Thompson, the great wrestling podcaster. The immediate impact of LeBron James to the Lakers. We have podcasts. I'm sorry, we have roundtables for you with our regulars like John O'Rand and Chad Finn. And go down the list, Carissa Thompson, Vern Lundquist. Many podcasts now. I think we're up to number 17 post-SI. So please uh, head to uh, Apple podcasts or uh, art 19 and subscribe to the sports media podcast as always i appreciate lou pellegrino for producing this thanks to cadence 13 the podcast company here this is richard deitch we'll see you again on the sports media podcast